my sexual desires that like wow here's a here's a uh you know a conversation about sexuality that i've never had with my parents i've never had with my friends i want to learn i'm gonna go find it where i can get it like the, basically it, the reverse of that happened for like most kids growing up in the 60s and 70s like the wonder years mm-hmm. kids you know there's the episode where kevin arnold and uh, his friend steal a copy of Our Bodies Ourselves or something mm-hmm. uh, from the bookstore. And that, you know, that they learned, I think a lot of kids from the previous generations learned in just terrible ways about sexuality. Right. I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but there was a, there was a Protestant guy on YouTube. He had, you know, he's got his own ministry. And he got a lot of popularity because he started having like Q and A sessions on sexual topics, um, and so you know the conversation is being had more today than it was in the past, um, which is a good thing. However, again, you know, without the the real anthropology behind it or the real theology right. behind it, it's it's reaching. It's still it's not quite touching the price, you know. So is it is the Protestant equivalent of theology of body just, you know, we're going to take certain scriptures, not necessarily that robust teaching from the Garden of Eden that we get from, you know, through JP2 and the Catholic tradition, but it's just like, uh, you know, quoting the, the sins, um, and there's no philosophy added to it. Well, that's, I would say, actually, that's one of the biggest kickers between Protestant and Catholic perspectives on these things is and i'm granted i'm making a very blanket and general statement there are no substantial protestant philosophers or theologians that have written you know and have like recognized works that are long-standing right so you have different ones i mean you have calvin you have like you you have different people that have different writings but when it comes to actual like reputable like academic perspectives on these things how many can you quote yeah there's like you know barth and that's that's about it right (laughs) so yeah so when it comes to like modern you know anthropological questions they're not there um that's why does a does a lot of that have to do with like within protestantism the fact that anthropology is basically like yeah we suck you know humanity <laughs> well yeah no sure <laughs> we're the worst well, no you know? yeah and it's actually that too because when it, you know conversations about science conversations about um you know all those topics i mean if you only lean on soul scripture or things that you can explicitly read in scripture mm-hmm. no, those questions aren't answered there you know, at least to the degree that people want them to be. And that is what Karl Barth said. He said that the incarnation was like a rose falling into a bomb crater. So obviously that doesn't drive too well with the Immaculate Conception, first off, but just the intrinsic goodness of the human person anthropologically because he's made in the image he and she are made in the image and likeness of God. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, and actually, I mean, there is some, I don't say remorse, but, like, it is difficult to say, you know, to say those statements in black and white, like, as they come out of my mouth, because I still have family that are Protestant. And so it is difficult to, like, make statements that are 
um, you know, discrediting, dismeriting, or, you know, placing ignorance on someone's spirituality. Um, however, you know, like, you know, growing up, we always had, you know, the pastor would, you know, would preach these sermons speaking very negatively against the Catholic Church. And never once did we ever actually, you know, like either read the catechism or like pull excerpts from different readings of the saints or anything like that. And so like once we started studying history for ourselves, it was like a totally different conversation. Um, and it was like the, the light switch was just kind of flipped on because like all these major life questions that either A, I did have or B, I didn't know that I had until someone presented it to me. Life started to make sense. Um, and so I, I mean the, you know, like I said, the big question is what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What is man period? Right. Those are big questions. Yeah. And unless you can like have a substantial conversation around it or someone that can give you, you know, some general direction as to how to, you know, how to navigate that. It's, it's not easy. I remember actually one of the biggest pivotal moments I think for my mom was the pastor of the church we were attending like um she asked him like well if the lord called you you know like if if you through revelation the lord called you to you know <laughs> yeah. to become catholic would you do it and his response was i do not ever believe that the lord would call me to do that and so no i would not do that and so like a willing and I guess it's kind of a you know different conversation where we started from, but like a willing ignorance, you know, that's not the aspect of a spiritual leader that you want to follow. Yeah, um, I mean, if the Lord revealed to someone to do something, like if the Lord revealed to me to like and and like actually revealed to me, like not me going crazy, like to become a Protestant, I mean, like that this is where the church lies, then. Right. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's where I need to go. Yeah, I mean, you got to follow that path. He's he's probably thinking of it as like like if if we said like well, what if the Lord told you to kill your wife? He's like, "Well, then I'd have to go check myself into a mental institution because that's a problem." Right, like, right. Well, you know what I'm saying? Right. Different question. He's Yeah, but. just just that he's probably thinking like, "Well, that's not in keeping with what I know of God, so therefore it must not be God." Right, right. Um, but I guess to tie back to our original conversation, you know, regards to chastity or sexuality is like, I think a lot of Protestant young people today, because of the generation of pastors that they've had that have either a not addressed those questions or b not addressed those questions. Well, they're just, they're starting to grab at whatever they can and starting to make their own way right. without any real direction or any substantial direction. Um, and so, you know, even though they're good intentions, you know, without good direction or any, any good formation, you know, underlying that, that's where we make mistakes. Um, but again, that's, I guess that's our duty to step up as Catholics, to offer them the truth uh, of what we do have in charitable and generous ways. Because um, these are easy conversations. Once you get to the, the real meat of the question, right, everybody wants to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. It's just how do you get to it? Um. Yeah, and so I think you know a lot of again a lot of young Protestant people like you know these very audacious ways that people are trying to either get attention or or try to get their message out. 
is because really to get that attention, you have to be kind of bold, you know, like if, you know, your parents weren't bringing up those questions for you or showing you, you know, then you just got to make it and do it for yourself. And, you know, actually, it seems like one of the biggest, just from what you just said about your parents, one of the biggest draws to chastity, I feel like, would be, like, for young people, would be look at, hypothetically, would be look at your family, look how wonderful it is, do you want something like that one day? Like, Like, this is part of how you prepare for that, but how many kids that are being talked to can look to their families and Mm -hmm. be like, Oh yes, I want that. I want what my parents have. I want what my siblings, I want that to what me and my siblings have. I want that to be what my children have one day, you know? Um, and that's kind of what Cody and I pray for is that, that our kids we've talked about, like the only hope really of our kids following in our footsteps is if they look to us and see joy, you know, if they, if they see something that they, that they want for the rest of their lives within their life, you know? And they're like, I guess our parents might be onto something with, <laughs> with this whole faith thing and whole, you know, we're going to embarrass them so hard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, that that's part of what's lacking in chastity education today is the fact that we're lacking in good family models. Yeah. yeah chastity's not chastity education is kind of ridiculous because it's always, Keep it in your pants. Yeah, it's the negative, not the positive. Like it, it's, right. it, it's, and it's well, even even the Braveheart talk. Like every time you go to a retreat, the guys talk and the girls talk, and the guys talk is always Braveheart or keep it in your pants, yeah. or both. Whereas you know? the girls talk is normally kind of like the girl wash your face thing. Like, like you are worth it, and you are, yeah, powerful. You are woman you, here. You're you roar. beautiful princess you, warrior. You tell them, sister. Yeah. <laughs> And it, I mean, uh, I really think I'm sorry, Scott. You oh no! <laughs> well, and, and I was gonna fi- let me finish that thought real quick. Is those talks are all good? They're they're great, but you just hear them too many times. It's like it's like you hear the same thing over and over again, and it just becomes like, well, I guess that is the truth. We are bad, like for guys, like we are bad. We need to, you know, just control every one of our desires and we need to be caged and right and you know it's just kind of ridiculous and And there's there's no talks about actual masculinity yeah and going back to that negative versus positive thing yeah we know pornography is bad yeah we know premarital sex is bad but it's not just running away from something it's running toward something else Right. right, and you so, can't just grin and bear that you know just by sheer force of will. A lot of these very real issues, you've got right. to give somebody something to run to. Right. So actually, one of the things I always use when I used to do chastity sessions is you have to find motivators. Right. So if you identify motivators with the the work that goes with that, it's so much easier to make those decisions. Um. So like we talk about business, right? And we talk about being an athlete. And when you talk about any goal, you know, you have to put the work in between connected to the goal. And so I always ask people, you raise, you know, ask the question, how many of you want a happy, healthy marriage? You know, raise your hand. Most of the time, everybody raise their hand. You know, how many of you are, you know, willing to do what it takes to have a happy and healthy marriage, right? Mm-hmm. When you ask it in that way, people are like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, so they raise their hand. So then you start asking the hard questions, right? Okay, well, how many of you are willing to not do this? 
How many of you are willing to do this, right? You know, the yeses that you gave in those first two questions encompass all of this other arduous task that most people just kind of, they shy away from. But if you actually make the connection between the motivation and the prize with the work, the work does not seem so difficult. And look yeah. at the philosophical underpinnings there, right? We're speaking teleologically, right? The mm-hmm. end in mind, the virtue that takes to, right. to achieve that end. When uh, on the reverse side, uh, like what Linda K. Klein is saying, they're telling us, she says this purity movement is telling us to live a sexless life, right? And that, and then they kind of get into identity politics that... Um, you cannot repress my sexuality, that is my identity, those sorts of things. It's, it's a completely different way of looking at things. Hmm. Right. Which uh, actually, that statement has a bit of truth in it, right? You can't repress my sexuality because, I mean, it's part of who I am. I mean, that statement has a little bit of truth in it. However, when you, when you confuse, you know, sex as a, and sexuality. Right. You know, sex as a verb right. versus sex as who, you know, as a noun... That's the distinction there. Right. Two things. Um, shoot, now I'm not going to be able to remember the two things now that I've declared <laughs> there's two of them. Might as well um, say three things. Well, one of them being that I feel like something um, that I've noticed is that, um, I don't know if this is across the board with youth ministry, but that with the tremendous focus on like being patient, waiting for your spouse and like vocational discernment, um, and and some chastity talks that there can kind of be an undercurrent of like just wait just wait sex is coming <laughs> it's coming um and that it's kind of like someone being on a diet while constantly like hanging out in an ice cream shop or something you know like like basically that that we need to be talking <laughs> we need to be talking to to young people about finding about other things and not that we're not at all but like leading fulfilling full lives that that have joy and have goals other than finding their spouse because i feel like there's a tremendous focus um at least for a lot of like college age ministry of like oh he's out there he's out there just you wait you know and that to an extent that kind of keeps your mind somewhat you know what i'm saying like like i don't know i'm not trying to say like just to replace the desire for sex with something else but that if if what we're talking about all the time is chastity and is vocational discernment and is looking for your spouse or waiting for your spouse that it's kind of natural that then it we're kind of making it hard not to think about those things you know um and secondly dang it what was the second here i've got something while you're thinking of that Uh, i was listening to um a high school teacher that teaches a teaches aristotle right to his high schoolers and he basically uh frames the class in terms it's an all boys school um teaching the boys about virtue and what aristotle has to say about virtue uh, which is not something you typically learn in school or uh you know like the alistair mcintyre uh that the philosopher Alistair McIntyre wrote the book after virtue. Like we're living in a, a society that those are not, that's not the vocabulary. That's not the, the framework that we're right. used to anymore. It's just scary. Mm. 
Um, also, this, so the second thing um, was that uh, basically that along with what Colby was saying about like kind of talking to kids about like the goal, you know, of having a family and um, having a relationship, maybe like your parents or like other marriages that you see. Uh, which I think part of what's difficult for a lot of people is that kind of that thing of that we're not very good at being good to our future selves, you know, that a lot of times we, you know, we, we, we're not eating the way that our future selves would have us eat or, you know, exercising the way our future selves would like us to exercise or saving money, you know. Um, but that to me, part of the argument for chastity, which, which is maybe a little difficult to convey to like high school students but I think it's it's possible is that we're called to love everyone on earth like to convey Christ's love to everybody and once you've crossed certain lines with people the best way to love them a lot of times is to avoid them after mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like yeah. like once you've broken up yeah um and that particularly like kind of what made that concrete to me personally was the fact that what a lot of people might not know that are listening to this podcast is that uh, Cody here used to date Scott's <laughs> wife. Um, Do what? And, <laughs> that and is, obviously, this is before any of us were married. That is this scandalous. Was last <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, before our before, downloads uh, just went through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> Drama on the Catholic Earth podcast. <laughs> um, Please yes. let that be the time. Many, <laughs> many, llama, llama, many llama moons drama. ago. <laughs> many moons ago. Um, but that they, I, to me, uh, is Ashton there right now? No, is I think she, she's... Uh, she, she wandered off. She's now in a semi-unconscious state. <laughs> Excellent. Good for her. <laughs> Would that we all. Uh. But um, but basically that I, I felt for some time, because Cody and I so enjoy the friendship of Scott and Ashton... And we like to think that they enjoy ours sometimes. Definitely. Um, Maybe. All the time. And uh, all the time. And um, basically that I feel like Cody and Ashton basically gave us a gift through their chastity that, that they made it possible for us to now be friends in a way that I don't think would have been possible otherwise, if that makes sense. Like with, with any amount of more physicality, it wouldn't have been possible to maintain a friendship, certainly with like our spouses and and everything it would have been awkward and so basically the chastity makes possible the ability to go on having relationships with people after the romantic relationship has ended and to go on having um to be able to love them like very actively as christ loves them you know in i don't know does that make sense oh yeah no, that's such sense. a such a cool perspective i and i mean ultimately um <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely more about Ashton than it was about me because uh, I came from a background uh, in college where I didn't have very good uh, boundaries. Um, I I was not very chaste. And then um, coming to date slash court Ashton was a revelation because... (laughs) (laughs) Because she had made a promise when she was a girl, a young uh, I don't, I don't know. Cody might know, but that she would not even kiss a man until the altar. <laughs> so, yeah, Ashton and and my our first kiss was after the priest had said, "You may now kiss the bride." Uh, I'm not sure if he actually yeah. said that, but you know, 
after that moment, you know, which um, that was, it was just such a great way to start a relationship, not to right. mention our friendships. Right, which I, I wasn't going to be as specific, but now that you've been, I can be, you know, that like, I feel like that in particular is part of what makes it so possible for us to be friends is the fact that like, not that, not that if Cody and Ashton had kissed, it would be impossible for us to be friends, but like they had such a high standard for their chastity (laughs) that, you know, that now it's possible for us to hang out and be cool. So let's, let's just, uh, Cody's like, never mind. It's not cool. No, 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 no. Because I, I have to give credit where credit is due, because Ashton called me to that standard, right? Like, I was coming from a background of, well, let's just say, <laughs> none of that existed. <laughs> um, so, like... There are people being, we're not friends with. Being, being a baby Catholic at the time, it was good to have somebody that called me to that level of chastity at that time, allowing me to better know who I was as a Catholic man. So given the credit where the credit is due so that people listening don't think that I'm just this amazing guy that is like perfect for every woman. So It's a shame that she's not listening. Oh, she will be. (laughs) She'll hear it. She'll hear it later. (laughs) We're all like, Ashton's amazing. It's changed all our lives. Well, this is such a contrast between Ashton and Linda K. K. Klein. Right, <laughs> because Ashton is the anti Lindy, or Linda K. Klein is the anti Ashton, the, the anti Klein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because she's, you know, Klein's like resentful that um, she and women in general should be made to bear the burden of purity, right? And that's the negative way of thinking about it. But Ashton and her saintliness brought not just me but Cody or not just Cody but me to a whole new standard and level of purity because yeah. of the force and power of womanhood <laughs> right not be not because you have to repress womanhood right I, when I said before that I thought there was some truth to it, I hope I didn't seem like I was saying. Oh no! Every heresy has, you know, an element of truth. <laughs> <laughs> it just—I think some women are made to feel like they're the. I know there. I know of one case where, like, a man kept making inappropriate jokes in front of women, and not like I say inappropriate jokes, like mildly inappropriate jokes and the women were like politely chuckling and they were asked to like leave the social situation because they were making it awkward by laughing at his jokes you know what i mean like like that kind of thing where like women are held to maybe you know which isn't to say that hey if they hadn't laughed that might have been like a great you know what i'm saying like sure it might have been holier if they hadn't laughed but they also probably shouldn't have been made to feel like the problem either Mm -hmm. you know definitely yeah (laughs) yeah i'm glad we're i'm over here with my feminist (laughs) My feminist banner over here, yeah. advocating <laughs> for the rights of women everywhere to laugh at inappropriate jokes. Well, and that was a joke. Guys. Oh, see, so you got to tell us these things. <laughs> you <should be> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so another um, another uh, figure in I'm not going to say the feminist sphere, but um, we were talking about feminist sphere. <laughs> that, that's a great word. The the femisphere. The femisphere. The femisphere. The femisphere. The femisphere. Uh, uh, the femisphere. Yeah. Just drop the tea. Are afraid of it? Yeah. It, it's that's a, a joke. Like the feminist oh. sphere. <laughs> <laughs> like Michael Crichton's the sphere. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, is that that's I'm dating myself? Yeah, 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 yeah. Lost, you missed us. Yeah. God, bless it. You shot and it just went. Woo. Well, anyway, we it's were talking about. <laughs> yeah, please go read every Michael Crichton book ever. Um, okay. But we were talking about Marie Kondo. Oh, wait, I know that name. Sorry. Oh God! He wrote Jurassic Park. I mean, clap, come on, people. <laughs> That's why I know the name. That's why I know the name. I read Jurassic Park. And he's written a lot of books since that. Well, maybe you shouldn't read, but he had a really good start. <laughs> you know, he actually wrote the screenplay for Westworld, the original Westworld, like with Yul Brenner as uh, <laughs> as uh, the cowboy all in black and four feet tall or half feet tall. Even. But anyway, we, we were um, <laughs> we were going to mention Marie Kondo. Um, my uh, Ash and I have been we watched a couple uh, episodes. It's a Marie Kondo: The Art of Tidying Up. I think if somebody can correct me, that'd be awesome. Um, but she has a new show on Netflix, and she basically takes families families of every stripe, some family dynamics that really we didn't feel like watching um but she takes wonder what that could be yeah you know gotta do gotta check every box when we talk about must be old people yeah <laughs> like myself oh so she took families that were more or less in crisis because their stuff was suffocating them in their homes you know not not talking about hoarders but just like the ratcheting up of stress in a home because of untidiness. And um, Marie Kondo has a way uh, of like telling, uh, she gets everybody, each family member, to take all their clothes and put on their bed. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Nerds Podcast, your primal source for quality Catholic nerdery. <laughs> <laughs> this is Scott. Primal. <laughs> Colby told me to change the word each time, so doing this on the fly. It works. Primal flies, animals. Uh, I'm Colby. I am primal Cody. <laughs> you can't get much more primal. <laughs> I'm Mary, and, and I'm here. And we are the Catholic nerds. <laughs> we are. Most. Sometimes. Excellent. So, uh, Mary, uh, before we started, before we hit the record button, uh, Mary was telling us about a review she had read, a Catholic review of a not-so-Catholic book. Uh, yeah, so so in, in fairness, I have not read the original book. I've just read this review of the book but I thought it was really good um, so the name of the book is Girl Wash Your Face and I have heard a lot about like I've seen a lot of references to that book on um, on social media and such uh, and basically the, the Catholic review I think the, the title of the review was Girl Check Yourself um, aimed at the author of, of Girl Wash Your Face <laughs> and basically the, the book is a, a self help book um, all about um, basically pursuing your dreams and your your goals for basically kind of coming to honestly say what your big dreams are I think like even 
like including like being the next Beyonce and stuff apparently is actually talked about as like like a legitimate life goal to have. So the um, subtitle, I'm just looking it up. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were meant to be. Yeah, mm. yeah, who you were meant to be. I am meant yeah. to be the next Beyonce. I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> we were all <laughs> meant to be. I am always Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> yes. And um, and that the author, I now I don't know if the author within the context of the book, I think so, though, based on stuff the review said, that she she's a Christian. She's the daughter of a Pentecostal pastor. So I think the book presents itself <clears throat> as, as somewhat Christian, although I think it's kind of like, I don't know, Oprah Christianity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm just uh, adding, reading the blurb. She, this is Rachel Hollis, and she's the founder of the lifestyle website, the chick site, the chick com. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, and so basically, the reviewer had several um, significant concerns about the book. Um, one of them being that she felt that the author of the book is very mean to overweight people. Um, that she's like, she, basically saying like, you can't trust overweight people because what? they don't have any self-control. Yeah. Wow. That, <laughs> they're not it's to be true, trusted. Though. I am overweight and I don't have self-control. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> the, but the, I guess it's not to be said for all people that are overweight. Just me. Wait, wait, wait. The, the, book is, the book is for women, Cody, not you. Don't worry about it. Wow, That's bad. right. It's only overweight women yeah. who are not to be trusted. Boy, um, I figure I don't have a lot of input here. Boy, so. you the can, the, the you guys' can... version would be boy washer pits. How about that? Oh, oh gross. <laughs> <laughs> my wife so, yeah. doesn't believe that that word exists. Ar- armpits. Pits. That word does not exist. It's what? what? Because it's, it's two words. <laughs> that it may be hyphenated. One. It's like a marriage. It's, hyphenated. it's underarms. The word armpits does not exist. <laughs> Interesting. The arm I mean, and the pit, the two become one flesh. <laughs> Pits are inside peaches. <laughs> Interesting. I did not know or, that there were people out there objecting. Or giant holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So, so, um, so basically talking about that, that she feels she, she's like, this may be a wound of mine, you know, <laughs> she's like that I, I'm not particularly skinny, but that it just seems like this is kind of, you know, like kind of the opposite of like that, that sort of, that on the one hand you have people who are like, no body shame whatsoever, it doesn't matter what size you are, you're perfect and beautiful, kind of ignoring the fact that no, like, like there is a health aspect to, to being overweight, that, you know, that it's not as healthy or or as good for you. So she hasn't, Lighter weight. She hasn't gotten attacked for body shaming. I don't know. I don't. Because that seems like swift and immediate. Yeah, you would have thought justice would have been (laughs) delivered swiftly. Like Greenpeace knocks on your door and takes you out. Right. (laughs) right. Within within the Christian community, though, have you ever seen that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess you're right that like like that would have been more. But but I think this book is very universally popular. Yeah, it's know. not. It's definitely not a relegated to the Christian community sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, she said that also. She plays really. How did she put it? Like like free and fast with scripture. Um, 
that she just that she's very good at like taking a scripture passage and kind of using it how she would like to use it and and the example sort she of gave. a Joel Olstein approach yeah yeah <laughs> uh, which I mean the whole book kind of sounds like a bit of a Joel uh, Olstein no. but but kind of more geared towards women because to an extent women maybe like I I don't want to paint with too broad a strokes but like the to an extent maybe women are more longing for um I don't know like to be seen and known and you know not that men don't desire that on some level but i don't know you know what i'm saying like joel olstein's more like financial success right to an extent yeah god will no? bless no. you with cody's cash. shaking his head <laughs> yeah like so so the seed and you will reap tenfold kind of thing anyway um but yeah that that it, it seemed like there are some concerns there that for instance that she quoted the scripture where it says um I don't remember what the first half was. It was something about, like, let every man have his wife and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And the way she interpreted that was that you can do anything in the marriage bed and it won't defile it. Oh, that's not exactly mm. it. No, no. <laughs> right. Not quite. Right. And, she, right. and she was like, I don't know what kind of cognitive dissonance could let a person, like, interpret English words that way. Um, she might have been quoting from the Gospel of 40 Shades of Grey. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. So, um, so yeah, so, so that, and then also, um, mainly just the fact that, that, um, the entire bent of the book is crushing your dreams and living sort of your best life, quote unquote. And, um, that basically being whatever sort of idea of fame and self-fulfillment and, and whatever that you've come up with for yourself at all costs doing whatever it takes pulling yourself up by your bootstraps um and that she presents Put your all these boot different... on the neck of the man right <laughs> right <laughs> and um basically like she the... encourages entertains and even kicks a little butt all to she convince does. you to do whatever it takes to get real and become the joyous confident woman you were meant to be precise oh wait is, does it actually say that or are you just this podcast brought to you by girl um, well, and apparently every chapter, or I don't know if it's every chapter, but throughout the book, she goes over like lies that we believe about ourselves and that she thought the, the reviewer of the book, I should probably find out her name so that I can give her credit. Um, the reviewer of the book thought Mary Rezac. Mary Rezac. It's a good name. The first one. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the second one's good too. Um, she assumed that at some point that basically it would be here's the lie and here's what god says about you you know but instead it was here's the lie and here's how you overcome that lie by buckling down and being somebody different yeah. from you know um and uh she that also the woman the reviewer mary was wondering like how does she like supposedly she's a mother she's a this she's a that and um within the book that that the the author says like people ask how i do it all but honestly i don't um i rely very much on so and so who watches my kids while i'm doing my speaking engagements and tours and 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 daily life basically and so the reviewer was like i hope i, I don't have kids yet but when i have kids if someone who has a full-time nanny tries to tell me how to live my best life i'm gonna laugh out loud hopefully not in their face but i can't make any promises about that you know so like also the fact that like what the woman is advocating for is basically like certainly not the the cultivation of your family not the 
the cultivation of your marriage even it doesn't particularly sound like or, or anything like that or or of what god has called you to be or the reviewer specifically says like that she never talks about like taking up your cross and following christ you know but rather like pursuing your dreams at all costs no matter i, I should i don't know if she says necessarily no matter the cost to other people yeah, you know make, but certainly make other people bear your cross. Right. right right no okay so that's a good point and actually i guess a good segue to a point i want to make and not to project this onto that book but the health and wealth gospel i think is just taken off more than it ever has in, in the pepper um if you go to youtube and type in go to youtube go to youtube type in <laughs> the millennial missionaries you will find a video that is a parody of this kind of oh, mindset I, yeah, yeah it was is like, it that group that does a lot of them yeah but it's like yes yeah, this couple they travel the world quote unquote as missionaries <laughs> to minister to the scuba instructors in aruba right yeah like they basically <laughs> live these glorified vacation style lives from the support of other people with the guise of mission work and i didn't know we could do that i know i'm kind of rethinking everything. where do we we've been doing it wrong this whole time right i know um, but it's this whole health and wealth gospel of, you know, this, this new quote unquote, like entrepreneurial type spirit where you can develop all these types of income so that you can do what you want to do under the guise of like serving or mission work right. or, um, and I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I know a person actually, um, that I grew up with and she has a quote unquote ministry where she sells jewelry, um, and she does travel to other countries and does very good work, like helping other women, you know, either get employment or like help, you know, develop, you know, these small communities so that they can, you know, work for themselves. But it's like, you know, where is the line of, you know, generating profit in the name of ministry? Right, right. You know, because we bash, you know, televangelists for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it the line becomes a little more gray when you talk about selling a product or, you know, when you're trying to, quote, unquote, add value and, you know, help develop people who have, you know, less resource or whatnot. You're kind of between the two extremes, the two poles. Well, one pole is pretty good. But you've got on one extreme, you've got simony, right? Yeah. Uh, the selling of church offices, gifts. Um, and then on the other side, you have Paul, right, who was a tent maker. And so wherever he went, to, if he wasn't, you know, supported with food and his missionary journeys, he could make tents and mm -hmm. support himself that way. Um, but I guess to tie back to the conversation about the book is like this mindset of young people to work as little as possible, but to attain this dream, yet still have a life of, you know, quote unquote, being Christ centered while totally ignoring the cross, totally ignoring, I guess what we talked about in the last episode of, you know, shaking off this burden of, of life. Um, and just kind of, I don't know. It's just weird. Like as I've studied I, entre yeah. entrepreneurship, like that seems to be a really big thing now. Like people want to work as little as possible with, with the most gain. Right. Well, well yeah. I think, it, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just real quick. You've got these, you know, like YouTube stars, it seems to me like there's been a wave of them and maybe an Instagram star. Mm -hmm. um, there were the YouTubers who, um, and I've got their names, they fell to their deaths at a waterfall in Canada. 
Oh, no. They, uh, vloggers for High on Life and Extreme Travel Channel, Riker Gamble, Lexi, and Megan Scraper, they, um, you know, what? and two of those, one, they're like boyfriend, girlfriend, one of those, uh, two of the three, and they uh, would video themselves doing extreme, uh, going to extreme places, doing extreme jumps off cliffs, whatever, and they died doing that. Um, like the girl, oh it was in Ken, I think it's like, um, you know, British Columbia, there is this kind of out of the way pool and waterfalls and she kind of slipped in into the current and they jumped in after and they all died. And then you've got the, um, Instagram girl. She was, she was known. She was, um, she was Asian, um, and she was known for going to extreme places again but always posing in her bikini so she died that's what i do yeah well i mean that's my dream sorry choosing your moment reading the room but she died she fell off uh, she's oh she would climb mountains in a bikini that's what her shtick was and she fell off a you know she slid into an inaccessible portion of a mountain. People knew she was there but couldn't get to her in time because she wasn't dressed properly. She died of exposure. Wow. Oh my gosh. So I mean it's just it, this surreal you know living untethered right. to all sorts of different things. Right. Literally. You also got those people that make money by uh, playing video games and having oh, people watch yeah. them play video games. <laughs> Well, I guess Which, talking I mean, about being tethered, right? If, if no one was paying for it, then right, like like to an extent, like it's kind of like the market's there. Yeah, right. the market's it, there. Just, one of the new things, and even um, you know, as we kind of you know tour YouTube, you know, sometimes to, like when I want to show the kids my favorite '80s cartoons, you know, like Gummy Bears or something like that. <laughs> Gummy <laughs> bears, yeah. bouncing here, here and there, there and everywhere. Oh my god! I adventure. That's me. Okay. <laughs> 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 well, you know, we'll stumble across all sorts of crazy things on YouTube, so we have to definitely keep that in check with the kids. But one of the things that Lucy loves is it's adults speaking with like child voices, playing with toys. Mm-hmm. And so it's this kind of. Mm. <laughs> I've seen that. Mm. Rose loves that too. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, you know, how how more separated can you get from other people? And it's one thing to watch people play video games if you suck at video games like I do. <laughs> Scott's defending his watching people play video games. Right I'm just going to watch y'all play. I'm just going to watch. <laughs> but at least I'm in the same room. You I'm going to live vicariously. Okay, yeah. through. Gotcha. So you're not paying to watch people play video games. Yeah. Well, I'm paying in shame, but you know. <laughs> Well, I pay for YouTube Premium, so I guess I'm, I'm oh, part of that too. So you got to watch Cobra Kai. I have not watched it yet. No. What is the point of YouTube Premium yes. without watching Cobra Kai? <laughs> no ads. Oh, there's that. Yeah. There was you also could... that Mortal Kombat movie that they did on there. Oh, it had to have been better than the the big screen <laughs> than Mortal Kombat. The one with David Carradine as Raiden. The only bright and shining moment of that movie. Well, no, you're forgetting about uh, the guy that played uh, Shang Tsung. 
I think we need like a buzzer to hit like when things get too nerdy. <laughs> or a podcast to record. Or, or off, off topic. Nope, off get topic. back. <laughs> what was our topic? Oh, yeah, girl, wash your face. Living your best life. Girl, don't well, fall off a cliff. Well, speaking of living your best was, life. Wait, there was something I, mean... I was going to say about what Colby said. About, oh, oh, I was going to say as far as what Colby said about like, like the fact that we're kind of, um, that there are, are a lot of people um, doing ministry and expecting oh, yeah. to be financially supported for their ministry, which I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing every time, you know, but um, basically that, I, and, and, and also like the idea that, uh, I guess basically that when I was in high school and college, the youth ministry that I was exposed to was largely, um, I feel like the, the overarching message was to an extent kind of the message of girl wash your face to mm-hmm. an extent not quite not quite that's a little much but like kind of like give the kind of um devote yourself to god and he'll give you the desires of your heart kind of right. thing you know right. like that um that, that seems true <laughs> yeah that i don't feel like i don't feel like anything in our youth ministry prepared us for life for crosses and for <laughs> drudgery of, oh yeah you mm. know like kind of we were talking about in the last podcast like like working by the spread of sweat of our brow like to support our families and to take care of them you know like that wasn't covered very much and and i feel like it kind of left us sort of unprepared like kind of like high school not preparing you for doing your taxes you know like (laughs) (laughs) where where do i sign the check (laughs) right (laughs) you know i don't know that's something i've thought about before is that that it's just it was all a lot of self-worth and and our worth in god and it's not like that message isn't is is not true it's true but like that to, isn't necessarily what we really need to that for life. point oh no, good. You, you guys go um so i was listening i was listening to whether it be a mistake or not but i listen to npr a good bit um all right, well, we're just going to have to stop this, right? <laughs> Clap. <laughs> Safe word. Um, so they were interviewing, there's this lady, uh, Linda K. Klein, and she's a, a former evangelical Protestant. She grew up in um, the evangelical church, and now she's she's like leading the movement against the purity movement. Whoa. Okay. Um, which yeah, is exactly as it sounds. But um, uh, apparently, I, I think, well, Cody used to sell purity wear, so you'd probably have some good insight in this. But it seems like. You did? I did. Uh, well, I didn't say it was a bad thing. Um, I know, just this is a night of revelation. <laughs> oh, okay. The t shirts and the rings. and You were wheeling and dealing. <laughs> Speaking of making money, what? Okay. <laughs> right. I used to work with purity wear like t-e-e mm-hmm. uh, they're a, a christian clothing organization that also sold the purity rings and stuff and i met and her would they do at the purity fest and i would help out at abbey youth fest and kind of they do uh, the purity cards a on the side a little bit i don't know if they did the cards because what, what i was have. getting what i was getting at is it seems like there's a Protestant take on the purity movement and a Catholic take on the purity movement. So um, what Klein, this lady, Linda K. Klein, accuses um, the evangelical purity movement, uh, she says, and I quote, um, it was all about how a woman needed to be a good Christian by protecting them, uh, meaning men, from the threat that is you, the threat that is your body, the threat that is your sexuality. Uh, 
I think there's some truth that, that in some cases there's some truth to that. Do y'all not think so? Like, like that there, there is well, sort I of think, a... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's told from a positive, not a negative perspective. Yeah. Right. Right. Her, um, her, mem- her she has a new memoir. It's pure inside the evangelical movement that shamed a generation of young women and how I broke free. Now, granted, shame, you know, if we're speaking in terms of the Garden of Eden, shame is a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least right. the time before, you know, we, um, you know, be- pre-lapsarian right. that shame entered the world. Well, I think, well, there's two different aspects of shame. One is the the mechanism of protecting yourself. And then two is the imposition of someone else's um, misjudgment of you. Uh, so as a former Protestant, right? Right. right. Uh, we never had any in-depth conversations regarding chastity or purity or anything. Really? Um, oh, no. Like occasionally it was touched in youth group, but it was like a, a topic that just kind of floated. Is, um, is that because you converted like at that time in, when you were a Protestant and youth group, you were younger? No, I went to a Protestant church until I was almost 17 years old. Oh, okay. Um, wow. So yeah, we stopped going to the Baptist church that we were going to when I was about 17. Um, and then still we went periodically uh, however, it was around that time when I started hanging out with the Catholic youth group that invited me to go, you know, go to the conference with them. But um, no, I would, I would make a projection that in large the Protestant community, the the conversation that it's gotten much better, as you can see, like either from this lady's book or you know, like there's different movements out there. Yeah, sure, um, sure. I mean, yeah. at the time, the most popular book was "I Kiss Dating Goodbye" by Joshua Harris. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was like the pinnacle of Christian Protestant chastity conversation when I was in youth group. That's true, yeah. Um now there are other resources, but that was like that was the book that people kind of pointed at. Yeah. And there are very good things about that book. Um however, like the specific conversations of what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, it's lacking big time. And actually, that's one of the biggest points of my conversion is the chastity conversation. Um, I was 17 years old, and one of my aunts had went to you know theology of the body class with Christopher West, and she brought back you know a handful of CD sets and whatnot, and it was my prurient interest, yes, that led me to listen to those CDs. Like literally, it was my my twisted sense of. My you know, so they can see like the sheer tonnage of clothes that you've accumulated and that you just don't need. And she, you know, when she goes into a house, she kind of has uh, like a, a, a meditation. And I don't know if she's Buddhist or Shinto. And I, don't, I can't really say I, I know if there's a clear line between the two. But um, she also, when going through things that we want to get rid of um you hold the clothes or hold the object and you ask yourself does this object spark joy um in in you and i think there's a a lot of meat here um on the catholic bone to um 
talk about, you know, objects. Um, are we anthropomorphizing? Are we personifying objects? You know, uh, which is like the flip side of theology of body. Uh, what, a, you know, the the Shinto aspects of this. Um, basically, she's, uh, my understanding of Shintoism is that there's like a spirit for everything. There's the house spirits, kind of like in in Roman mythology, you had Hestia and Vestia, the goddess of the hearth. You know, Roman mythology was much more. There's a little demigod for every little thing in um, the household. So it's you see aspects of that creeping in, which if it were a Christian going into a house and asking for God's blessing on that house. Can you imagine <laughs> the fury that would be unleashed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, just um, do y'all have any thoughts on that? I I have such mixed feelings <laughs> because I I do think like decluttering is so important and oh, I'm yeah. so bad at it. My mixed feelings are I don't watch HGTV, so <laughs> this is Netflix. Uh, it's not on HGTV. It's <laughs> Netflix, Netflix which enough. we don't watch Netflix. We don't watch Netflix. Uh, we, we gave of, that up because that's a good story. For a moment, that's a good story in itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well that, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I say a little bit different perspective, but a book I read and have been reading is called "Your Money or Your Life" by Vicky oh, Robin. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was going to be uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" guy. Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, people put them together because a lot of people that read his book have also probably read hers or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, But in her book, they do, um, you evaluate your purchases, you evaluate your stuff, but she uses the the perspective of life energy. Oh, boy. (laughs) But it's not, it's not like a spiritualized, like pantheistic kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, the effort that you put into your life, uh, your work, right, your job or whatever, um, how much of your life energy do you spend to attain stuff? Mm-hmm. Or to maintain it, probably. Or to maintain it, right. So like, so they yeah. put it in perspective of, like, you figure out what your actual net income is, not what your gross income is. So, like, after your expenses for travel and commuting and your groceries, like, your actual savings rate. And then you apply that to your frivolous purchases or your non-discretionary purchases. And how much of your quote-unquote life energy do you spend to attain that stuff, right? And so when you put it in that perspective, they're like, okay, well, this T-shirt, right? You talk about clothes. Well, if I have this much clothes and my, you know, my, my actual earnings rate is, say, $2 an hour, because a lot of people, you know, you make $20, $30 an hour in your job. But when you actually deduct your actual living expenses and other stuff, your quote-unquote savings rate, you might make 2 $3, right? Oh, that's kind of frightening. Yeah, and that's actually being conservative. A lot of people are in debt because they actually yeah. overspend, right? right? Right, But, But she uses the conversation of how much quote-unquote life energy do you spend attaining stuff? And does that bring you fulfillment or is it draining you? Right. Right. So is that purchase actually worth it to you and does it enrich your life or does it give you a spark of joy or is it a drain or a burden or a negative consequence that you need to get rid of or not do? So it's a little bit different, but it's a similar conversation. Right. It's kind of like, like also like people addicted to food somewhat in that, like, like I know a lot of people 
myself included. I shouldn't be talking as though this is like vague. Other well, people. to a certain extent, Get we're like all a... addicted to food. <laughs> yes. Right, right, <laughs> right. But also, like, by acquiring something new can kind of give a, a brief rush. Like, oh, yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. here's this neat new thing. Yeah, that triggers but a dopamine long... pathway. Right, right. But that the long-term consequence is now I need to make room for this. I need mm-hmm. to keep it clean. I need to yep. store it somewhere, you know. And and that oftentimes we're not prepared to keep in mind the long, kind of that thing of being kind to our future self, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. That we're not prepared to, to expend the energy needed for for whatever the thing is. Yeah. Future self, you don't need that vote. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug for our last episode where we talked about abortion and the instant gratification of our carnal pleasures and people don't consider the future and the consequence and the, the things that come from that, right? I And so they destroy half of humanity. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> it's the easy way to do it. <laughs> just, it is. just wait for a flood to take all your possessions away and start over again. Yeah. I I think that there is a good there just as we had the Benedict option and then the Mary option and then the beer option, I think that there could be I feel like we're just waiting for the Catholic art of tidying up. You know, have a Franciscan or a Trappist monk, you know, write about <laughs> how he keeps his cell neat. <laughs> Oh, but and like by know. not owning anything. <laughs> well, it's funny we say that you say that and you joke about it, but the minimalist movement is a big thing now. Yeah, we yeah. were, and so we were there doing are that a lot before of, it was cool, right? I mean, but there are a lot of secularists who are trying to discover themselves, who are studying monks, who are studying you know these different religious sects, you know, to figure out you know what is it about them that ticks, right? That makes them happy. Like, why are they happy with nothing? Mm-hmm. What yeah, is it yeah. about that? Yeah, so, so even within the, like, the secular community, ahead. people are talking about it. I feel like I know a lot of of uh, stay at home moms that I've I've become closer to in the last like year or so. Um, that would that could be that Catholic Marie condo, you know, like that that are doing it right, like that know how to, and and aren't just doing it for themselves too, you know, like they're not just they're doing it for for their whole family, like knowing how to sort of keep everyone happy and within like living in a space that's healthy and happy and and not drowning in stuff and you know and it's hard and teaching how to order these things to the corporal works of mercy like we're not just right. trashing our goods uh, maybe we don't acquire things in the first place that we can live simply so that others may simply live but on the other side you know if we do have excess things um you know, teaching the kids to pick out toys for St. Vincent de Paul. Um, yeah, ordering all those things to the good of others. Yeah. I I told a friend, because, okay, so, <laughs> disclaimer, we were actually going through the kids' toys yesterday, trying to figure out, <laughs> like, we're like, okay, something's got to go. And our the way our, our lives have worked out is that we have a birthday, a child's birthday in December. Christmas then comes in December as it does for, for many others. And uh, and then our next child's birthday is in February. So we've got this one time a year where we're inundated with stuff oh, yeah. and toys and stuff, which is, is lovely. Thank you, people, for, for giving our Swimming children Swimming through like a sea uh, of toys. Right, right. And so I was texting a friend um, who has seven kids and asking her, like, how do you do it? And And she was giving me some tips. Um, 
and I was like, I just feel like if I take any toys away from my kids, that I'm potentially robbing them of this chance to make some like great like realization with this toy or to play with it in a new way or something. And she told me, I, I, she texted me. She said, no, you're giving them so much more. You're giving them the gift of order and beauty and gratitude and responsibility and creativity by like teaching them how to like make do with less and how to, you know, and I just thought that was kind of beautiful. I, maybe it's just my, oh, it's absolutely my momness true. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it? just that we're, we're, we're teaching our kids to be holy, like even by taking toys away from them or, th- or giving their toys away. And I was struck when Marie Kondo, um, in one of the episodes, she was showing how she organized her child's toys and she had like five toys <laughs> around her. Oh, and I was like, well, okay, that's how you organize those five, but what about the other 500? <laughs> and, and, but no, that was it. Her child had, they had whittled it down to five toys. And I was wow. like... What were the five toys? It was like a doll. I guess I can text you about this later. Yeah, I'm just curious. I don't, like, I don't even... I, I mean, they're just, you know, basic toys, you know, like an Amish child would have. <laughs> right. Well, I play with more of their toys than five. I still have, have like, more of my toys from my childhood. Like, I've got my right. whole Ninja Turtles set, you know? Like, I'm not getting rid of that. Because <laughs> that, that sparks joy. I, <laughs> I never particularly liked... I'm going to... I'm gonna bring on some wrath yep, from you about guys and the get, viewership. Yeah. I Nerds never, are going to hate her all the time. I never could really get into the Brave Little Toaster <laughs> or Toy Story because I felt like they like already I found it hard as a kid to like let go of things. I, I, I was easily attached to physical things, sen- very sentimental. And it's like, well, great. Now they're also personified and have <laughs> yeah. personalities right, and, right. and are hurt and are hurt. You're killing me. Throw them away. <laughs> yeah. Like, You're so- like, I was just always like, why? I like, don't get me wrong. I know they're very entertaining, but to me, I was always like, why are we sending the message to our kids that these toys have feelings? Yeah, If we get rid of our toys, you they'll know? go to that creepy, neighbor kid who's going to make him into little toy monsters who's yeah. going to torture them and put yeah. dynamite on them <laughs> yeah yeah i Which, mean that's the other thing i was that I'm kid sorry. actually okay <laughs> oh were you i mean no, I, I was not sick, mary but... hates that kid <laughs> in disney movies in disney movies all the time and i i love i love a lot of disney movies i hear a future podcast time, coming up right <laughs> they personify things all the time animals and objects right and then horribly mutilate them oh, or like man. dismember them or kill them. And to me, I'm just sitting there like, I thought that this was just put on par with like, like for the sake of viewing, for the sake of this movie experience, we were thinking of these things like people and you just violently killed them in front of us. Like I'm, I'm traumatized. Like, <laughs> is, is anybody, you know, like, like I just feel like for kids, it's like, you know, like we're like, Oh, it was just a little plastic soldier. Oh wait. But like for the kid, it was a person, <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. So we don't think about how traumatizing it is. But yeah, obfuscate, confuse the line between object and person. That seems like yeah. a perfect way to ruin a child. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. In short. Mm-hmm. I'm still suffering the consequences. Yeah. 20 years well, later. We're only... I honestly thought Mary was about to say she doesn't like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So. Oh, well, that, I mean... And her and Scott were going to go topic. back and forth. I mean, everybody <laughs> likes that, so, I mean, we don't even have to... No, I I've, thought... I've got one on my shelf right now. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I I, th- I thought I was... Um, what Mary was saying, I was thinking, well, we're both only kids, so our toys were our friends, because 
we had no one else. <laughs> right. <laughs> but well, you probably also, did have friends. It was probably me that did. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not that I didn't have friends, but like at home, like, like in other words, you're playing more with toys during the time you have at home than you are with your siblings, you know? Yeah. And also, as an, as an only child, you're with, how do I put this, with, with a family, let's say you have a toy that's for like kids that are three years old, that's not one kid's toy. As the kids get older, that right. becomes yeah. the next kid's toy, the next yeah. kid's toy. But as an only child, it's like, that is your yeah. museum what, why, of your Why are you touching my toy? <laughs> yeah. Who said right. you could touch it? Right. It's and meant in the box. Like, <laughs> your, your mother is like, oh, no, we can't get rid of that because that's those toys that Mary played with for two seconds when she was two, you <laughs> yeah. know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scott, were you that kid that collected everything and never opened it? Yeah, that was me. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. Not much has changed. Really. I used to pick yeah, one. Not much has changed. <laughs> I still, <laughs> yeah, that has it. No, I still have my uh, Admiral Akbar mint on card. Love it. Oh love my it. gosh. Love Admiral Akbar. Could you like? Is that like worth money? Yeah, you know, Probably. but not a huge amount. Would you ever sell it? Yeah, I could sell it. Well, maybe not Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> I could definitely sell my Luke Hoth uh, in Hoth fatigues. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, clearly, <laughs> maybe all my duplicates of my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Maybe I could sell them. <laughs> Man. I'm mostly kidding. Mostly kidding. <laughs> Oh, no, it's like Pokemon, right? Oh, uh, what a lame thing. Speak not to Cody of Pokemon cards. <laughs> I know, I know. But, like, I did the same. I made the same mistake. So, like, I had the full binder. I had every original card except for a Charizard. <laughs> Which I had. I mean, literally every single original card except that one. And I had it in a binder. And that binder sat in my closet for years. And eventually I got tired of it. And in my decluttering state, right, I put it on my bed. And I said goodbye to my binder of Pokemon cards as it went on eBay. It went on eBay for $14. Oh, oh. bad moves, Sparky. The entire thing, $14. Dude. And then Pokemon Go comes out. Oh. And that same binder I saw sell on eBay for close to $5,000. Good God. Oh, my God. Okay, this is not helping me get rid of things. <laughs> you just... Yeah, I lost mine a lot earlier on. Someone stole mine. Oh. That's why I was saying speak not to. Yeah, I had I had the original Charizard holographic. Dang. I had Zapdos, Blastoise, mm-hmm. Venusaur. I had all like the rare ones. Dude, it was. I had it was, original holographic had... Mewtwo. Man, I, I see. I, if I had that. I, I had I had like a thousand cards basically, and someone stole them all. And I'm assuming they sold them for drugs. Dang. Well, at least it went to a good purpose. Oh, yeah. Great cost. See, this is, and this isn't fair because, I mean, well, it, in the worst way, it's not fair from my perspective. Because when I was a kid, baseball cards turned to crap, right? Because this yeah. was the yeah. early 90s, right? The era of mass-producing baseball cards. Comics mm-hmm. were mass-produced. There was a new number one... There's like 40 new number ones at all times. So comics from that period are worthless. The other cards we had were the Marvel, like the X-Men trading cards, which are completely worthless. 
And uh-huh. I mean, even like our cabbage patch, uh, or like uh, we, the garbage pail kids. We had cards, you know. It's like the the evil cabbage patch kids had a counterpart called the garbage pail kids. They're like nasty. Even those things, like the all the collecting cards from our period, because that was like the collecting time, are worthless. <laughs> the opposite, the anti Marie Kondo. <laughs> yes. time. The time of uh-huh. accumulating as much as possible. What do you all remember, Pong? Um, yes. Like those little circular things that were supposed to be yes. like the people are going to be collecting those for hundreds of years or at least mm-hmm. beanie babies. Yeah, beanie. Ba- oh my God, there's so much terrible consumer collectibles in those. Things. The only thing that's really survived the test of time is Pokemon. <laughs> Which I want us to go back and, and put this with Cody's account of his cards being stolen. I want us to lay this over <laughs> while he's talking This isn't about... the Shirley Q. Liquor version, is it? <laughs> I don't know what It's that. probably best. That's that you don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a Shirley Q. Liga, yep. Oh God! I was trying to pull that up while he was talking about it, but I wasn't fast enough. <laughs> I just felt it was appropriate. Wow! Oh, Sorry, I do feel your pain. She loves me so much. Don't you. Can't you tell? There's clearly room for two people on that door, but regardless, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> so but guess... she would have kept me off the door. That's how much she loves me. Oh. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> well, hold. I'll hold your hand forever, Jack. <laughs> Oh wait! Not oh so wait! Long. You're frozen. I'll let it go. Jack, blue. Jack. Yeah, frozen being a whole nother movie, and maybe a topic for next time. Well, Jack ended up in another movie too. So lots of movies. What have you seen? Jack Returns, the the YouTube trailer. No, no, no. Yeah, go to YouTube. Type in Jack Returns. Word. That's our mm. word of advice for the week. Go to YouTube. Oh, we've been also the millennial a... missionaries. I thought you were gonna say reference Howard Hughes, like when Leo Leonardo went to you know, portrayed Howard Hughes, and you know the aviator. Yeah, peeing in a jar. Well, I made it about two thirds of the way through that I movie, and he, then I had to stop. I was like, it, I can't deal. When he died in Titanic, didn't he wash up on the beach in uh, Inception? Yes. No, I think that's oh. where he. I think he washed up into a bear's mouth or something in that other movie. The Revenant. <laughs> yeah, that one. But no, like yeah, Jack. Jack is the guy from Inception. Mm. So, yeah. Wait. <laughs> so, it's kind of like Captain America, you know? He was frozen. Is this... He was frozen at yeah, the bottom exactly. of the ocean, and then he came back. And Bucky. There was a. At, back in in 1997 when it came out, there was an article like a. I don't know, not quite a satire, but an article like Titanic 2, you know, and um, Jack like surfaces and Rose is like, but I thought, I thought you died. And he's like, well, my protective layer of hair gel <laughs> saved me. <laughs> that just stands my, out to my me. My Brill Cream. <laughs> yeah, saved me. Well, the, yeah. uh, no, the description on YouTube, so the actual title is Titanic 2, Jack's Back. But the uh, the bad. description says, like a horror movie. the description says, I thought the old lady dropped it in the ocean in the end. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Yikes. <laughs> so, I love a good fan theory. And maybe this is, uh, we'll have, maybe there, our next podcast uh, could be all about fan theories. But um, Our favorite fan theory. Yeah, like, uh, 
Well, we've mentioned Frozen, so like you know the favorite, the ship the ship works. that went down with the parents of the girls and Frozen became the ship mm-hmm. that yeah. Ariel Tangled. and Little Mermaid, uh, the Little Mermaid, yeah, got her, and it's because her parents were on the way to the wedding for Rapunzel and Flynn, right? And where she got where she kept her thingamabobber or whatever like that. <laughs> There's a theory that they're also Tarzan's parents, which I say is completely like ridiculous. Because yeah. like they they yeah it's wrong bunk. wrong clothes wrong like did not have a baby with them <laughs> like none of it works none yeah. of it works. But so I have another site called Nerdatron.com. <laughs> I don't know if I've shared this with you. All. I've I've heard that one. Yes, you have. Oh, okay. Well, good. Um, but yeah, I have. Oh, a, this is your site. Yeah, yeah. I have a not just one you frequent. Yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> 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 but I have a, a best fan theories post, and yeah, so we got uh, is Dumbledore death? You know the Deathly Hallows, and um, you know the Pevensey, not Pevensey, that's Narnia. The Peveril brothers being the different, um those brothers being Snape, Harry and um Dumbledore or Vol- Voldemort yes. and then yeah. and then Dumbledore's death. Yeah. That's a good one. But yeah, there's some and then you know Gandalf saying fly you fools being a reference to hey, why don't you just use go straight to the Eagles now, go to Mordor. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. like how it should have ended. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and it ended. But no. That's the most. That's one of the most intense fan theories I've ever read. Is the whole flyy fools thing? It is. It is intense. Thanks for nerding out with us, the Catholic nerds. We hope. Uh, well, I'm not going to say that again. We hope we have <laughs> increased your nerdiness um, a bit. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with all your Catholic nerd friends. Bum 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 b